This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Theodore Roosevelt quoted an um, African proverb, speak softly and carry a big stick. But um, since I don't have a big stick, I don't want to speak softly. All right. Um, now, let's transition into most holy place ministry. Then he, the high priest, shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire. And what he does is he goes inside the veil, then he sprinkles blood in there in order to purge the holy place, which in this context is the most holy place. We know that because it's inside the veil, which is the inner veil. The Hebrew word is specifically the word for the inner veil there. Okay, so this is, on the Day of Atonement, second phase of atonement, the priest goes in there. Now look at what happens here in Daniel 7. We find here the end time equivalent or fulfillment of that. I watched till thrones were put in place, court was seated, books were open. I was watching in the night visions, one like the Son of Man, who's that? Jesus. Coming with the clouds of heaven, not to earth, but to the Ancient of Days. William Miller missed that point. And as a result, he was disappointed. <laughs> okay? And they brought him near before him. To, then to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. This is what I was illustrating when I referred to Prince Charles and Queen Elizabeth, right? If he comes in to Westminster Abbey and goes in procession down to meet his mother and becomes king. See, the purpose of the judgment is to receive the dominion. Why? Because the judgment determines the nature of the dominion. Who belongs to him? Who his subjects are? Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what that—that's that marriage, um, which is behind closed doors in heaven. All right. So that means then that Christ has moved into his most holy apartment ministry, which is a judgment event. And I have written uh, a lot in my book, Altar Call, and Who's Afraid of the Judgment, on the nature of the judgment that it's for our benefit. It confirms our salvation. If we're with Christ, then the purpose of that judgment is not to condemn us. Dale Retzlaff totally missed that. You know, he, he, he calls it a terrible thorn in the foot. It's like it just opens it up so that you're unforgiven and you have to be forgiven all over again. There is nothing in any of the Day of Atonement texts in the Bible, Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23, Numbers 29, nothing about forgiveness. It's all after forgiveness. It's dealing with that judicial responsibility, the fact that God has forgiven truly guilty people like you and me. And so it's for him to justify what he's done. Let me illustrate that just for a moment. Suppose I'm out here on the highway and I, I'm in my car and I'm driving 120 miles an hour and I get taken, I get a ticket. <laughs> and the judge, however, has mercy on me and forgives me and pays my fine for me. Now, that's never going to happen, so don't go and try it. <clears throat> but, just for an illustration. Then, suppose that another judge at the next election is trying to take the position of that judge that forgave me. And the judge is going to look in all the records, they're going to have assistance, and they're going to try to scoop up all the dirt they can on the incumbent. And they find there, their record, that that judge forgave Roy Gaines 
and paid his fine for him. What is that other, other judge, the challenger, going to do? He's going to put in the newspapers, the incumbent is soft on crime, right? All right, this is just a story. But now suppose that this went to a higher court and it was vindicated that the judge who forgave Roy Gain did so for a good reason. Okay? Uh, that's what the Day of Atonement is all about. You see, God's forgiveness of his people and his condemnation of those who should be not forgiven, this is all subject to review by the jury, which is the onlooking universe, who want to know, can we really trust God? Is he really fair? And God does something that no government, no business would do. He lays open all the books. Total audit. God not only allows himself to be audited, he puts it out himself and opens up the process. Talk about this full disclosure. That's incredible. And the reason is because he wants everyone to choose to trust him. Otherwise, they can't love him. And so the purpose of this judgment is to demonstrate that when he forgave you, he was forgiving the right person. Who's the right person? Romans 3.26. God is just when he justifies those who believe. Believe in the present tense, not believed in the past tense. That means believe and go on believing. Right? Don't throw that trillion dollar check away. Jesus said to the woman taken in adultery, John 8 verse 11. Neither do I condemn you. Go and what? Sin no more. Don't just go and hop in bed with somebody else and do it all over again. See? In other words, I'm giving you a new start. A new start in life. You're not, the judgment doesn't deal with your pre-conversion sins unless you throw away the benefit of Christ's forgiveness where he substitutes for you. That earlier part of your life before conversion is flushed down the drain. It's gone. See? Neither do I condemn you. Flush. You can hear that flushing sound, okay? <laughs> All that garbage. Don't sin again. So I give you a new start. Jesus takes us where we are. Praise the Lord for that. But praise God, he doesn't leave us where we were. It's not the kind of cheap grace whereby we believe that, oh yes, I believe, and so... As a result, there's something legal in heaven and then God looks at me through rose-colored glasses and nothing changes here and I go on sinning a thousand times a day. That's not the way it works. No, that's not the way I want it. Do I want to sin? No, I don't want to sin. Sinning is a drag. It's, it's, it's rotten. I want that power to overcome. I want to be restored, regenerated. All right, so this is all part of then receiving the dominion, and now where's Jesus? He is in heaven. What does that mean? Where is he going to give you the Spirit? From where? When he was on earth with the disciples, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, John 20. When he goes to that first department of the sanctuary, he's ministering there, he is giving them the Holy Spirit from there. That's where the lampstand is, right? Where is Jesus now? now I don't have time to give you my presentation on 1844, um, it's, it's very short, about six pages, ten steps to 1844 in my book, Who's Afraid of the Judgment? It's a lot simpler than people think. Okay? And, but, but the reality is, I'll just give you my conclusion, because all the evidence is there as well as, as well as answers to objections. But we are living now since 1844. For me, the most important thing, experientially, for my experience, is not that... 
it was 1844. That's important as a fulfillment of prophecy. For me, in my experience, the most important thing is I'm living during the period of the end time judgment. This event, when Christ has already done that, and when the first angel's message in Revelation 12, 6, and 7 says, the hour of his judgment has come. That means that Jesus is now ministering from his headquarters in the Holy of Holies, in the heavenly sanctuary. Now, I know I have access there because Jesus made that way of access. And when I come boldly to the throne of grace, I'm coming boldly to that throne in the Holy of Holies of the heavenly sanctuary. That's where I receive grace to help in time of need. That's where I receive the gift of the Spirit from there. If I'm looking to somewhere else, that's not where it's at. See, Jesus moves, doesn't he? He moved from earth to heaven to another place in heaven. The ancient Israelites had to follow the Shekinah where he went and stay with him if they were going to receive the gift of his presence, his protection and the manna and so on. You couldn't stay back there in um, such and such a place, Elim or Kadesh Barnea or one of those places and just build a shrine and we're going to worship God here. That's what so many denominations have done. And we need to not do that. We need to keep following. That's why we used to be anyway, and I, I hope we still are, and we should be. We need to recapture it if we have lost it, lost the edge, and that is a movement. Not just a church, not just a denomination, not just a hierarchy or, or an institution, but a movement. This is, this is gospel going viral. I guess I just thought of that right now, but I kind of like the sound of that. Gospel going viral. GGV. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> Write it down. It's a good one. Um, so, then I heard a holy one speaking. This is Daniel. And referring to the same event as that end time Day of Atonement scenario there, because the Day of Atonement in Israel was a day of judgment for God's people, wasn't it? Every year a day of judgment. If you didn't realize that, look at um, Leviticus 16, verse 30. It says, For on this day shall atonement be made for you, from all your sins you shall be clean before the Lord, because the cleansing of God's sanctuary vindicates you. If the judge is vindicated that forgave you and shown to be right, then you receive the benefit from that, right? And that's what's going on. That's how you're cleansed on the Day of Atonement. And at the same time, there's a cleansing going on in our lives. But if you look at Leviticus 23, 29, and 30, it says that the person that doesn't practice self-denial and uh, it's translated uh, afflict yourselves, but it means self-denial like fasting and so on, to show loyalty to God. Or if you don't keep Sabbath on that day, then you're to be cut off or condemned or rejected by God. So it was a real day of judgment between God's loyal and disloyal people among the group of the nominal people who called themselves by his name, who were under the umbrella of Israel who received the benefit of the morning and evening bird offering and so on. Does that make sense? That's another huge topic, but I'm having to refer to that because here we find 2,300 days. Then the sanctuary, the Hebrew word is Kodesh, which just refers to holiness. Holiness is, and the Hebrew word here means justified. It means holiness is vindicated. God's holy place, which is the sanctuary, which represents him just as the White House represents President Obama. So the sanctuary represents God's administration, his character, his justice, his policies, all of that. 
That's what the sanctuary represents. Is God accomplishing this salvation? Is he carrying out this great controversy in a way that can be justified as in harmony with his own principle of God is love? That's what it's all about. Okay, so the sanctuary is this white house and it's vindicated. Vindicated meaning that his character is vindicated in what he's doing. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. And this happens after this period of time. Well, now, here is Ellen White's vision in early writings. Here's the reference here. Early writings, pages 55 to 56. Her vision of the end of the 2300 days. Now we've looked at this. What happens in Leviticus? Transferred to the Most Holy Place Ministry. We looked at then the reality in prophecy in Daniel. And we found, we found the Son of Man, which is Christ, coming to the Ancient of Days, which is the Father, to begin a judgment ministry, which is the last phase of salvation, the last phase of atonement. And here we have this vision in early writing. So it's a very early vision. Ellen White received this when she was young. I saw the Father rise from the throne, and in a flaming chariot go into the Holy of Holies within the veil and sit down. See, it's just... Just like Daniel 7. I saw thrones were placed, the Ancient of Days took his seat. Right? Then Jesus rose up from the throne, and most of those who were bowed down arose with him. She's talking about a group of Christians who were bowed down with Jesus outside in the holy place. Those who rose up with Jesus would send up their faith to him in the holiest. These are the Advent Christians who, followed by faith, accepted the message that Jesus shifted the headquarters of his ministry in 1844 into the most holy place. Right? This was seen in a vision by uh, Hiram Edson. A vision, I mean, it was a, a thought, it was a picture that flashed into his mind somehow. He, he got it and he connected it with scripture. So it was based on scripture, but God had to point him to scripture. It's not that it was just made up from his head. And that Adventists were somehow using this as a save face mechanism because they were disappointed Millerites. That's what most Christians think. It's, it's not like, you know this guy recently who, who said the rapture is going to come and then the, you know, the rapture kind of ruptured and it didn't happen. And everyone kind of makes fun of it. Well, then it's not a save face mechanism. Something really happened. And something on earth corresponded to what happened in heaven. Just as on Pentecost, something happened in correspondence with what was going on in heaven. Jesus rose up from the throne, and here these people rose up with Jesus, and they would send up their faith to him in the holiest and pray, My Father, give us thy spirit. Then Jesus would breathe upon them the Holy Ghost. Wow, that's like John 20. You see why now I constructed this presentation the way I did? I was giving you the background to understand what she's saying in here. This is all biblical. Then Jesus would breathe on them the Holy Ghost. In that breath was light, power, much love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, peace. Where does that come from? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We read it this morning. We read it today, this afternoon, right? Now, now look at this. This will give you the chills. I turned to look at the company who were still bowed before the throne. They did not know that Jesus had left it. Those who didn't accept the message that Jesus had done something in 1844 stayed where they were. Right? 
instead of moving with Jesus, they stayed where they were. Jesus, or rather Satan, appeared to be by the throne trying to carry on the work of God. Whoa, if you ever thought that sometimes God's work is getting carried on like the devil, then now you know why. Uh, I saw them look up to the throne and pray, Father, give us thy spirit. Satan would breathe on them an unholy influence. In it there was light and much power. Do we see that today? Yeah, light and much power. But no sweet love, joy, and peace. Satan's object was to keep them deceived and to draw back and deceive God's children. Whoa. Doesn't that give you the creeps? Yeah. Now let's ponder this for just a moment. Now it's all very well to be very, very self-righteous and say, Oh, it's us versus them. And they're out there. They got, yeah, they got the light and the power and there's all kinds of stuff happening and sparks flying and all kinds of decibel levels and it's just great. Except for no love, joy, peace. What happens when there are young Adventists who look out there and they see more love, joy, and peace than they see in here? And you know what happens? They leave. And we're having 60 to 70% of young Adventists are leaving the church. Many of them not to any church because it's hard to go anywhere after you've been an Adventist. You know, we have a distinctive culture. Who are you going to hang out with? Yeah. Other Laodiceans, I suppose. It's, it's just difficult. But there are, there are those, and I know some, who are going to other churches. They want to find a better community. A community where there's more love, joy, peace. I know one guy who went all over the place and ended up where he, he thought that he would find something and he was disappointed uh, in that. Other people, they, it's really hard to refute their testimonies. I mean, they're just very, very loving Christians. And who knows? Perhaps they're the sheep Jesus spoke of who are not in this fold. And later on they're going to be gathered in. And maybe some are joining the sheep out there that are not of the fold, and that way they're going to get regathered in. Maybe that, I didn't think about that before, just now. That's interesting. Okay, so in any case, what do we do? What do we do when we don't have the love, joy, and the peace among us? Do we have enough love, joy, and peace in our midst? then you know what that means? That means we don't have enough of the Holy Spirit in our midst. That's what that means. And then the question is, where do we go to get it? Well, if we just ignore, if we ignore the, our distinctiveness, and we say we're just going to be like all the other Christians, we're going to be Seventh-day Luther Baptist-Piscatarians. <laughs> well, we're going to just assimilate. And there are some who want to assimilate uh, in, in to, to become like everyone else. If we, if we do that, are we going to miss out on receiving the Holy Spirit from where Jesus is now, from within the veil? You see the point? We've always got to go to where Jesus is by faith, recognize what he's doing now in order to receive the gift from him. Now, it's true that there are people who really don't understand and they haven't had a chance to learn. I believe that God still gives them the Spirit. So I don't think we can say that someone out there who, who doesn't, uh, but it's, it's those who reject, it's those who turn away, willfully reject this message that I'm worried about. Right? And so we need to then go to Jesus and receive that gift where he is now. I'm thinking of Philip Yancey wrote a book, The Jesus I Never Knew. I mentioned it this morning. But in that book he wrote about Christ's ascension to heaven. 
And it's an interesting passage because this evangelical, wonderful writer, I guess he was a journalist or something like that, uh, he writes, My greatest struggle of faith is the ascension of Christ. It's not the problem of pain and suffering, and he's written a book about that, Where is God When It Hurts? It's not the problem of resolving science and religion, and that's a big issue these days, origins, including among young people. It's the ascension of Christ. Why? Because. He doesn't know why Jesus is waiting up there so long. He says, my, I, I stand with the apostles, gazing up into heaven. My eyes ache for a glimpse of Jesus. Where's he gone? What's he doing? 2,000 years. Is he on vacation? Is he on sabbatical? What's he doing? You know, and you could paraphrase it. He didn't. Yancey didn't, but I would in the words of a song from back in the 60s, and I won't sing the whole song uh, mercifully, Why did you leave me here all alone? Okay? Um, and why did you leave me here all alone? What? But we as Adventists know the rest of the story just because we've read the script. In Hebrews, it tells us. In Revelation, it tells us. Daniel, it tells us. He is working for us our salvation. We can get in touch with Jesus where he is now. We know what he's doing and where he is. You know, when you've got a loved one, you like to know where they are, don't you? Yeah. When my wife and daughter are traveling somewhere, we like, to, we like to keep in touch. They like to know where I am. So we need to know where Jesus is, what he's doing now. Is it just so that we kind of feel good that, oh yeah, that's cool, we know where Jesus is. He's not in New York, he's not in there, he's, he's there. The point is that at this time, there is a special way that we cooperate with this phase of his ministry. It's always like that. What happens in earth needs to happen. I mean, what happens in heaven needs to happen on earth. So that in Leviticus 16 verse 29 it says, on the day of atonement, you need to do two things. You need to practice self-denial and you need to keep Sabbath. Totally focus on God. You don't need food. You can't help yourself. Nothing. No work you can do can help you. You just focus totally on, on God. This is a holy day. During that time, when the high priest representing you, because you can't go in, just like Esther couldn't go in to the king, I mean, Esther couldn't take everyone in Susa with her in to see the king, only she could go. We have to trust in what's going on, but we participate. And Esther said to all the people in Susa, you need to fast for three days with me and my maids. We're going to fast too, because I'm going in before the king, and if I perish, I perish. Right? And Jesus is going in to his Father on our behalf. And we need to participate with him in that event. How? Practicing self-denial? Well, does that mean we stopped eating ever since 1844? I don't think that can happen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.